I'm sure everyone heard and everyone knows it's been heralded around the world that a great man of God entered into his reward. And of course, I'm speaking of Billy Graham. And he died at the ripe age of 99. And in fact, when the physician went in to check on him and, you know, actually, you know, sign the death certificate and do all that stuff, he said he simply wore out. I mean, I think that's just pretty awesome. But I don't know if you guys have know a lot about him, but you will see I have a cartoon here. And he's led millions of people to heaven. And this is a cartoon I saw. It says, Billy Graham, millions of people here want to thank you. Now, can you imagine him stepping up to the gate at that transition when he transitioned from this life into the next life and just the millions of people that are in heaven as a result of him all rushing to see him? I just think that is just absolutely amazing. And I I don't know about you, but I've been watching some videos of him this week and just remembering, I I never got the chance to go see him at an actual crusade, but watched many, many, many of the crusades online, um, sorry, on TV growing up. And so I have a short clip and we're going to cut it off in the middle and I'll tell him we're going to cut it off probably. But here's a short clip of him actually, and it's going to tie into our message. So if you just watch. I can prove it. Because in my heart, I don't say I think, I hope, I say I know. And you know, there's another element in our lives that we don't think much about, and that's the element of faith. You think of the faith that you have to have every day. You have to have faith that your wife didn't put poison in your coffee this morning. You have to have faith in her. She might have felt like it, but she didn't. You have to have faith in the bank. When you write a check and sign it and you have money in the bank, you have to have faith that the bank's going to pay it. You have to have faith in the government. When you pull out a dollar bill, now I know it's shrinking, but you have faith that back of it is a dollar, that people will accept it as money. Everything we do is by faith. Now, for example, when I come up on a hill, and I live in the mountains of North Carolina, and we have a lot of hills, I don't stop my car before I get to the crest of the hill and get out and walk over and see if somebody's coming up the other side on the wrong side. I have faith to believe that the drivers are going to stay on their side. Faith, 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 everything. When you sat in that chair, had you ever sat in that chair before? I bet you didn't pick it up and examine it and put your hands on it to see if it would hold you. By faith, you just sat down in it. You had faith that people wouldn't build a chair that wouldn't hold you. Everything we do is by faith. All right, take the same faith. Put it in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you will know who Jesus is. You accept him by faith, and he comes into your life and into your heart, and you know that he's who he claims to be. All right. I love that. I mean, that's just, you see the intensity and, you know, as we of course know, and I heard the statistics from his organization, I want to say somewhere around 250 million people in the course of his life actually made decisions for Christ. And it's just, it's just an absolutely amazing thing. But I have another picture I want to put up here of, of people. And, and most of these people you probably don't know. Do you know who Edward Kimball is right up here on the top left? How about D.L. Moody? or Chapman, or Sunday, or Ham. Well, here's the story. Edward Kimball led D.L. Moody to the Lord. 
And under Moody's ministry, Wilbur Campbell was saved. Chapman, sorry, was saved. Billy Sunday was converted by Chapman's preaching. And through Sunday's preaching, Mordecai Ham was saved. And Billy Graham came to Christ at a Ham crusade. It said that after Graham was turned down for membership into a local youth group because he was too worldly. Isn't that crazy? Billy Graham was too worldly, so they wouldn't let him even into the youth group. That his friend who worked for, on their farm persuaded him to go and see the evangelist, the evangelist Mordecai Ham. And according to his autobiography, Graham was converted in 1934 at the age of 16 during a series of revival meetings. But you see, it was this person who led this person to Christ. Who led this person to Christ. Who led this person to Christ. Who led this one. Who met a 16-year-old boy. Didn't even know him. And he became the man that led millions and millions of people to Christ. But I bet before today, you didn't know any of these other names. You probably didn't know that they were the ones responsible for Billy Graham coming to Christ. But you see, Kimball probably never met Graham, and D.L. Moody might have never met, but the domino effect, and someone led him, and someone led the person before him, and so on and so forth, but see the impact that our lives have on others. Now, I want to take you to a story in the Bible where Jesus is talking in just a second. But I want to recap just a little bit. We talked about the Passover Seder's coming up. And the Passover Seder is when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, hey, there's this whole thing that I want you to do every year to celebrate what I did for you. And there's the four cups and there's this whole amazing thing that they did there. But while they're out wandering around in the wilderness, they came to a place that they didn't have any food. They weren't able to get, there wasn't food that they could go and gather and glean and everything. And there's millions. I mean, think about millions of people there and there's no food. I mean, forget being one in six. I mean, they were, all of them had no food. And so God rained down manna from heaven. And he actually made it so that it was just there outside. They get up in the morning, they go out and collect it and bring it inside. And, and then it, you couldn't collect more than what you needed to save it for tomorrow because it spoiled right away. God was showing us a, a foreshadowing that we're supposed to live every day in a dependence for him. But that was what happened in e- as they left Egypt and were before they got into the promised land. So I want you to remember that part of the story because in John chapter 6 verse 26 Jesus is now talking to some Pharisees and people who are questioning him and he says he replied I tell you the truth you want to be with me because I fed you not because you understand the miraculous signs so Jesus is saying hey you guys aren't following around and just getting on the bandwagon there's not thousands of you here because you acknowledge that God is working in your life that you acknowledge that God is doing something he's got a great plan for your life you're here because I fed you he says you're part of the 5,000 that I just fed and another translation said you got really full off of all of that food and that's why You decided to hang around with me. Verse 27, he says, But don't be concerned about perishable things like food, but spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, We want to perform God's works. What should we do? 
Jesus told him, this is the only work God wants from you. Now here, notice this. This is the only work God wants from you. Here's, it's, it's all there. Believe. He wants you, before you can pass go, before you can move to anything, the very first step you have to do is believe. That's where you draw your circle and you say, okay, this is it. This is my beginning of a journey is to believe in the one he has sent me. Their reply to this, he just told them that you're not even into the miraculous signs that here you're just looking for all of these things and you just want to be fed. And here's what their reply is. They answered, show us a miraculous sign. Now, isn't that just crazy? So Jesus is saying, here, you're not even really interested in the things of God. You're not interested in the things that is happening here, but you're just wanting to be fed. And so they're like, hey, show us another sign. But isn't that just like us that we're like, hey, God, just perform some miracle. Do something great. And and I've often said, it's one of my favorite analogies that, you know, what we would love to see in our flesh is that when Jesus is up on the cross, that the nails just going pew. And he just levitates right off the cross and he just hangs out there in space, you know, and everybody be like, oh my gosh, look at that. I mean, they're saying, do a miracle, do something for us, show us something. If you want us to believe in you, what can you do? Can you imagine? And here's what they said. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture said, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. That's not what the scripture says though. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he goes on in the next couple of verses to talk about he's the true bread of life. And then he goes on, verse 37, he says, however, the father has given me the people who will come to me and I will never reject them. Come to me and I will never reject them. He's saying no matter where you're at, no matter what you've got going on, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, come to me and I will never reject them. Billy Graham also said in another clip that I watched, He said that people come to him all the time. Now imagine Billy Graham is this great statured man that's all over the world. And I mean, anybody would recognize him anywhere. People came to him all the time saying, is it possible for me? I'm a prostitute. I've committed murder. I've stole. I'm a thief. I've got all of these things. And is it possible for me? He says, God will never reject you. And at the end of all of his services, he, he had everyone sing the song, Just As I Am. It was the staple for him. And that song is just as I am. You don't have to clean up your life to come to God. You don't have to get everything in order to come. Because it's not about joining a church. It's not about all those things. It's about starting that relationship with God, with Jesus, believing in him. Remember, Jesus said, this is what my father wants. This is the only works he wants from you is to believe. The song, Just As I Am, was written by Charlotte Elliott. And she learned an important lesson, it said, about Jesus one sleepless night in 1834. See, she was an invalid, so her family held a bazaar in England to raise money to build a school so she could watch them from afar. 
That night, she was overwhelmed by her helplessness. Now imagine being an invalid in 1834, where she can't do anything for herself. There's no resources. There's no, you know, anything for her. And her helplessness, she couldn't sleep. But her sadness turned to joy when she realized that God accepted her just as she was. Her experience inspired her to write these well-loved words, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am. That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want us to try and get everything fixed up. Come as you are. Now think about a dying person on their, on their deathbed. This is their last moment. You know, oftentimes their family's all around them. And, and they're there just, they're listening to every breath. And you don't know when the last words are. And the, the last words are the most important. It's like, that's what you got to last for the rest of your life. That's what you're going to remember your dad said his last words. Or your mother said, or your grandfather, or whatever. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus now, his last words that was written before he goes up. Now, this is after the crucifixion. This is after he was raised from the dead. He spent some time giving them further instructions. This is his very last words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me. See, God's plan isn't for Jesus to do all these things continually to win people. He now says it's up to you. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, but it's up to you now to be my witnesses telling people about me. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Verse 9, and after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching. Now, pause. You know, I always say, put yourself in the Bible. So can you imagine they're up at the top of this mountain, and Jesus is hanging out there. He's talking to them. He's giving this. And they don't know these are his last words, but these are his last words. And as he finishes this, it says, while they were watching, he was taken up into a cloud. So all of a sudden, he just like a balloon just goes, and can you imagine they're like, uh, are you seeing what I'm, is, is that still Jesus up? No, that's a bird. Uh, you know, he just like, talk about a spectacular, miraculous sign. I mean, can you imagine being standing there talking to Jesus all of a sudden it just goes up like that. And his last words are, it's up to you to be my witnesses and tell people about me. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. Man, just, that's just so amazing to me because people know when they're not right with God. That's why we don't believe in as a church. And you know, our motto is not to judge people, not to point things out to them, not to give them a whole bunch of lists and, and rules and all that stuff. Because people, when they're not right with God, they know they're not right with God. If we do something wrong, we know when we did something wrong. That's just inherent inside of us. And the most amazing thing is you can be made right with God by believing in your heart. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. Verse 13 says, everyone 
who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Who? Everyone. See, Jesus said, everywhere you go, tell them about me. Now he says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Continues on in verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never have heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How can they call? How can they believe? How can they hear? See, it is dependent upon us. It is dependent upon me to tell somebody because Jesus says, you now tell the story about me. Verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, hearing the good news about Christ. And that's, that's why I picked that clip of Billy Graham talking about faith. Because you imagine, we don't go in here, and I bet none of you came in this morning and, and said, hey, let me check this chair and make sure it's going to hold me. I love that analogy. I've heard him say that several times. But the faith that is required in so many things, but we don't think about it. When you go to fly from here to wherever, you don't go, I hope this plane's going to work. I hope it's going to get me there. No, you just have faith because you know it's going to work. Jesus is saying here, faith comes from hearing and hearing the good news. But who's telling the, that hearing? Who, who are you hearing say it? It isn't God. It's me. It's you. When I was younger, I, I had a friend who was a police officer, and, and I, I had an opportunity. We were setting running radar on the side of the road. It was a late night. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. There's no cars on the road, and we're just sitting there, sitting there sharing our, our stories back and forth, and I'm telling him my woes, and then he told me his woes, and you know, we're just comparing, you know, like friends do. You just talk and share with what's going on, and, and as, I, as I'm sharing with him my difficulty, he said something that still haunts me to this day. He says, Kevin, if I ever accept Christ, it's going to be because of you. I was blown away. I was dumbfounded. See, because I hadn't talked to him about Christ. I hadn't shared with him. I wasn't wearing my Jesus Loves You t-shirt. Okay? I, I had just simply lived my life. He saw me going through struggles, and he saw that I had God helping me through my struggles. Part of the growth track that that we have, and the growth track is the next step you can take to know more about our church and what we believe in, and how our purpose, and to find your purpose in life. And and one of the part of the growth track in step two, this is part of it. If you've been through it, you understand. If you're not, you're, you're getting a preview of it. This is one of the primary purposes we have, is to reach people who are far from God. Every one of us can do our part by following these four principles. Number one, accept personal responsibility. See, you have to come to the place to understand that I'm personally responsible for my friends. I'm personally responsible for my coworkers. I'm personally responsible for those people that are in my garden, in my sphere of influence. That, that checker at Tom Thumb that I see all the time. 
That person that I, I come to know, my next door neighbor, the, the person that is around me, there is personal responsibility. Billy Graham took that personal responsibility and as a result won millions and millions of people. Now, we're not all going to be Billy Grahams. No one is but him. But imagine if the other people that I showed you as we started didn't take personal responsibility and that one didn't lead that one, didn't talk to that one, didn't talk to that one that led to Billy Graham. See, each one of us have to, number one, accept the personal responsibility that, first of all, I draw my circle and I have to believe in God myself and I have to know God. That's the beginning of it all. But the next step is I need to actually tell someone. Number two is to build a personal relationship. So it's not just about going and knocking people upside the head and saying, you're going to hell, you need to know Jesus. No, it's about building a relationship with them to earn the right to be able to share. And just like I did unknowingly to that person, my friend who's a police officer, he got to know me. And I shared my personal story and he saw what God did in my life. Still dumbfounds me today, his words. Number four. We give a personal invitation. See, we share Christ in our city, our nation, and our world. Jesus, Jesus said, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the whole world. We do that through many different ways. But number one, we have to come to that place, and I hope you come there this morning, to realize that I have a personal responsibility for those on my left and my right. Now, you're not responsible for their decisions, you're responsible, as Jesus said, to tell them the story. But what's the story? The story is about Jesus, and the the best story is the story of what Jesus did in my life, what Jesus did in your life. See, you can argue religion and doctrine and all these things. You can get in arguments with people till the cows come home, and you'll just all fight and all this stuff, but no one can argue with your testimony. No one can argue with what God has done in your life because like, I I don't know what to say to that because that's what happened to you. So I have personal responsibility and I simply share my story. Number three, I invite somebody. See, you do what only you can do and we'll do what only we can do or you may not be able to do or may not be comfortable doing and that's sharing the word of God. See, we're in this time frame right now leading up to Easter when people are starting to think about God again. The, the movies are going to start playing on TV. You're going to see Charlton Heston out there with the Ten Commandments. You're going to see all of these things. And people start thinking, even though they see the bunnies, they also know about Jesus. They see the crosses everywhere. You're going to start seeing all these things. People know what's going on a little bit. If you invite them, they're open to it. of the people who come to church, you probably know this statistic, isn't because they got a nice flyer from the church. We have those. It's not because we have a great website. We try really hard. It's not because we have all these other external things. It's because someone personally invited them. See, we don't know all your friends. Only you know those people that are in your sphere. But it's up to you to take that personal responsibility. There's a song written a few years ago by Hillsong that I love. and It's called, So You Would Come. And that's the title of my message this morning. So You Would Come. And I want you to understand and listen to the words that was written here. Before the world began, 
you were on his mind, God's mind. And every tear you cry is precious in his sight. Because of his great love, he gave his only son. Everything was done so you would come. The chorus goes, come to the Father, though your gift is small. Broken hearts, broken lives, he will take them all. The power of the word, the power of his blood. Everything was done so you would come. Verse 2. Nothing you can do can make him love you more. And nothing that you've done could make him close the door. Just as I am. Because of his great love, he gave his only son. See, everything was done so you would come. Everything you see at this church is intentional. It's so you, proverbial you, will come to know God. Everything is about you knowing God. It's the first step. It's before you can go anywhere else. It is that step. Billy Graham once said, one day you'll hear that Billy Graham has died. Don't believe it. On that day, I will be more alive than I ever will be. Another saying he said, and this is where I want you to think about it. He once was asked, when you get to heaven, now think of that cartoon. I know it's a cartoon and it's funny and, you know, it it just kind of evokes our, our thoughts. But think about him stepping into heaven and the millions of people that are there. When you get to heaven, Billy Graham, how do you think you will feel? Here's his answer. For a brief moment, regret. Regret that I didn't do more. Think about that. Regret for just a brief moment. When I see the totality of heaven and what the goodness of God that is there, I'm going to think, I could have spent another hour telling somebody else. I could have taken another, I could have, I I could have done more. Could have done more. We bow your heads and close your eyes. Could have done more. I have a few questions for you this morning as we close. Are you the one today? Is today your day? Jesus started off saying that the only thing God wants from you is for you to believe. So it doesn't matter if you're believing for the first time today or you're coming back to God. Is today your day? Another question. Who is the one for you? Who is the one who will say, I came to Christ because of you? Who will say you stepped out of your comfort zone and as a result of you, I'm in heaven? Think of all those people that ran undoubtedly to meet Billy Graham. Who's going to run to you? See, the first step is for you to get there. The second step is to bring somebody with you. The first step is for you. 
If that's you this morning, you can be made right with God even as we read the scripture by believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth. That's between you and God. But I'm just here to help you with the prayer, to help you with the words. So if that's you this morning, I ask you to pray this prayer with me. Say, God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place, to pay for my sins so I don't have to. I ask you to forgive me for living my life without you. Jesus, please forgive me. I surrender everything to you. Be the Lord of my life. Be number one. And the best way I know how, I'm going to live for you with all my heart. Today, I give you my life. God, I pray for everyone that's prayed that prayer, Lord. Lord, I know there's a party going on in heaven rejoicing for those who have come for the first time or those who have come back. And Lord, now I pray for all of us that the second part of this message is about us accepting personal responsibility for those that are in our personal sphere of influence. Those who are in our garden, as my wife will say. The Lord will step out and simply invite. The Lord will just ask them to come to church. Lord, not to fill a seat, not to have a numbers counted, racked up, but Lord, that on that day, that all of us will have people coming up and say, I'm here because of you. My life and eternity was changed because of you. Lord, it's all done so that you would come. Lord, I pray all of us take this message and receive it And God, you show us the right person. You show us the right thing. And you help us to know you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.